0: to be with you once again. And special welcome to those of you that are joining us on campus for the first time or watching online for the first time. Welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. If you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm gonna lead us in that time. And so if you haven't done so already, inside your program, there is a green and white message note sheet, which is a great tool to follow along with this time. There's also some space there. If you'd be able to jot down anything that Holy Spirit is specifically prompting you to take away from this time with. I'm going to go ahead and pray to start our time, but as I do, I want to invite you to join me specifically as I pray for our next-gen ministries here at Rocky Peak. And some of you may be aware of this, but right now, our middle school ministry, Wildlife, they're away at their summer camp with a bunch of students and their leaders. They actually come home a little bit later this afternoon. And summer camps are an incredibly intentional opportunity with our next-gen ministries to kind of give a lot of our students a break from the pace of their normal lives and to be able to experience the truth of Jesus in a really powerful and life-changing way, as well as it's an opportunity to be able to build relationships, not just with their peers, but relationships with their leaders are going to be walking through this next school year with them. And the beautiful thing about this is as I've been thinking about the entirety of the summer is that all of our next-gen ministries have gotten an opportunity to have this camp or retreat experience. It was just two weeks ago that our high school ministry, Revolution, were away at their summer camp. It was about two weeks before that, as Kellyanne mentioned, that our RPK, our Rocky Peak Kids, were here for VBS, their half-day summer camp. It was just a few weeks before that that our RPYA young adults were at their beach retreats. And so these are powerful times. And I don't say that just as a former leader that used to lead these retreats. I say that as proof of what God can do because it was at a summer camp in July of 1997 through the high school ministry of Rocky Peak that I gave my life to the Lord. And so these are powerful times. And the reason I want to share that with you is that as the adults of Rocky Peak all of us have been called to steward these upcoming generations well. Whether you actually serve in the ministry or not, it's not just a reserved few that are called to impact the upcoming generations. We who call Rocky Peak home, we've been called to love, to pray, to impact and to model for them. And so with that, I wanna invite you to join me in prayer. Hmm. Jesus, thank you for entrusting this local church with these upcoming generations. I pray first and foremost, that we as the adults of Rocky Peak, that we would take that call seriously with a beautiful passion. That for some of us that may mean getting involved in serving those ministries or those leaders directly, For many of us, it's going to be regularly praying for them. For all of us, it's being a model, a living, breathing example of an imperfect person that is running after a perfect Jesus. Let us as the adults of this church send a clear message to our youth, to our young adults, to our kids, so they don't simply belong to one single ministry, but they belong to the entire church. Jesus, I pray for these camp experiences. I pray for your spirit to be unleashed in the lives of these students. For many of us, we're getting ready to start a new school year, whether this week or next week. I pray that as a result of what you've done in these camp experiences, that you would unleash your spirit on these campuses, in the local elementary schools, the local middle schools, the local high schools, because of young people who are passionate about Jesus and what he's doing in their lives. Jesus, I want to thank you for these leaders, from the pastors and the Paid staff to the incredible volunteers that are giving up of their time to spend with stinky junior high and high school students. Thank you for their call, Thank you for their commitment. Thank you for the fact that they are absolutely essential, as me now in my 40s, I'm still impacted by the work of my high school small group leader. And ultimately, Jesus, as a church, let us be to united in showing a great love and welcoming arm to these, next, to, the, to these upcoming generations. There's a lot that is often said about young people, but the most important thing is what you say about them, that you love them that you created them, that you died for them, that you unleash your spirit through them. Let us approach them, not with a mentality that one day they will be the church, but with the fact that because of your spirit, they're the church now alongside us. And so, Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to partner and steward with them. And as we go into this time of teaching, Jesus, again, as the communicator, I pray that I become less. I pray that you become more. Jesus, you are already speaking. And as your church, we say, we are here to listen to what you have to say. And it's in your name, King Jesus, we all say, amen. All right, Rocky Peak, got your Bibles? Open them up. Got your apps? Turn them on. That's right. We're coming in hot this morning. We're gonna be going to the gospel of John in the New Testament. So we're going to John chapter 10. Now I'm gonna be starting in verse one. And so in it, it says, very truly I tell you, Now, this is Jesus speaking, and some of you remember that phrase, very truly I tell you, is a translation of the phrase, amen, amen. And another way of saying is is that when Jesus says, very truly I tell you, what he's saying is, hey, pay attention. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. "'The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep.'" the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Would you underline or highlight the entirety of verse four? If you don't happen to have a Bible on you, I run ahead and wrote that out on the front page of your note sheet because that's the foundation for our whole time of teaching this morning again when he brought out all his own, when he has brought out all his own he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice verse 5 but they will never follow a stranger in fact they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice now i'm going to stop right there but for, there's many here that you're familiar with this account In fact, if we were to keep reading, if we go down a little bit further and we get to verse 11, Jesus says one of his most famous declarations, in which he ties this metaphor together by saying, I am the good shepherd. And so ultimately he's talking about his role in his leadership in the life of those that follow him. And as we unpack this again, just briefly, this was actually a very significant metaphor for the audience that Jesus is speaking this to. Culturally, as he talks about sheep and shepherding and all of that, it was very familiar to them. But Jesus is addressing a primarily Jewish audience. And again, as I use the word significant, his audience knew That throughout the Old Testament, God is often referred to as the shepherd of Israel. And so for Jesus to say, I am the good shepherd, is a declaration of godhood. It's a declaration of identity. It's a declaration of authority. But not only that, again, I had you underline verse four. And so what was known is that Middle Eastern shepherds were very much known for intentionally training their sheep to recognize and respond to their specific voice. In other words, a Middle Eastern shepherd would train their sheep to listen and follow the leading of their voice. And what was known is that a specific shepherd could walk into a sheep pen that had different sheep that belonged to different shepherd, and by using his voice, his specific sheep would come out of the herd and begin to follow him. Not only that, but it was important that sheep knew the voice of their shepherd because being a shepherd was not an easy job. We can't understate how dangerous the desert and the wilderness was at the time. And so for a shepherd to lead his sheep was to lead his sheep through hostile territory, through uh, life-threatening circumstances. And so it was absolutely important for the safety of those sheep to be able to listen and follow the voice of their specific shepherd. And the third thing that I love about this is that for a shepherd to take the time, because it took time, because sheep are not the brightest of animals, it took time for a sheep to learn to recognize the voice of their shepherd. It showed the patience and devotion a shepherd had to their specific sheep. And the reason why this is such an important metaphor, not just for the original audience, but for those of us that call ourselves Christ followers now, is what does this teach us about our relationship with Jesus? Is that as our good shepherd, Jesus will teach us how to recognize, how to listen, and how to follow the leading of his voice. And often this idea, this concept of hearing God can feel so intimidating to so many. In fact, for many of us, we go off the assumption that the only people that can hear God are the spiritual elite, are the best of the best. And the beauty of the the metaphor Jesus is using is he doesn't say, hey, just the best sheep, just the perfect sheep, just the A student sheep, but the expectation is that all my sheep will learn to listen and follow the leading of the voice of the good shepherd. And that's what the series is all about. See, last week, Joe kicked off a three-week miniseries called Listen and Follow, And if you've been at Rocky Peak for any length of time, you've heard that phrase said over and over again because it is the heartbeat of who we are as a church. When we say, listen and follow, our vision is to be a people, to be a community that is under the leadership, under the authority of King Jesus, that is learning to listen and learning to follow his leadership in our lives But we're doing this three week study because we understand that often that idea of listening for many Christ followers can come with a lot of confusion how do we do this? What does it look like in my life? It could come with a lot of intimidation. I don't know if I'm built for this. Are you sure you mean me? It can even come with a lot of mystery, depending on your religious background or other experiences. And so what we're looking to do throughout these three weeks is to unpack both God's big, picture vision of what it means to listen to his voice. And then the talk about practical ways in which we can develop rhythms in which we do so. And so again, when it comes to listening, we need to start with a brand new paradigm, a new way of thinking about it. So if you're following along in your note sheet, you've got a section titled that, Listening, A New Paradigm. And last week, Joel kicked this off by, with an incredible message because, frankly, that's what Joel does. But if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and listen. But even if you were, I want to start with this first fill-in briefly with what was my biggest takeaway from Joel's message last week. And that's this. Your first fill-in is this. You've been created to listen. You've been created to listen. And this is a beautiful truth that as believers, we really need to root ourselves in. Because if you look there on your note sheet, I put a phrase that I think sums up a sentiment so many of us have when it comes to the idea of hearing or listening to the voice of God. I wonder why God never speaks to me like that. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything, but have you ever wondered something like that? Have you ever wrestled with that? Because if you have, you are not a terrible Christ follower. You're actually pretty normal. I wonder why God never speaks to me like that. Because often we are in proximity of amazing men and women, other believers, or some incredible leaders that seemingly are always hearing the voice of God in their life. They're often sharing, they're often declaring regularly and confidently, this is how God spoke to me through that message or through that life group. This is how God spoke to me through this chapter in his Bible. This is how God spoke to me through wise counsel. And a lot of times when you hear that, it can be go, awesome, awesome. Why is that not my experience? What's going on? Or maybe sometimes we have this experience that we have heard God's voice in certain environments, maybe in a church service or a special service like an encounter, maybe at a camp or a retreat, maybe led by certain leaders, and we have this experience. Yes, I know that God spoke there, but why isn't God speaking when it's just me? Why isn't God speaking in my life or in my trials or in my worries? And that sentiment, I wonder why God doesn't speak to me like that, King create a false narrative. And the false narrative can take, can can look like maybe God doesn't speak to me because there's something wrong with me. Maybe God doesn't speak to me because my life is a mess. Maybe God doesn't speak to me because I'm just not built for it like the other person is. And so again, we need to pause and we need to ask ourselves, what is actually true? And again, there's a lot of reasons why God may sound distant or silent, but we need to go back to the truth that as believers in Jesus, we've been created to hear the voice of our shepherd. See, the beauty of the message that we call the gospel is that when you gave your life to Jesus When you repented of your sins, when he came and forgave you and washed you clean from the inside out, he didn't make you a slightly better version of who you used to be. He made you a brand new creation. He resurrected you into something more, into something beautiful, into something made in his likeness. And as a mark, as a seal, as a declaration of that, he gave you his spirit that lives in you that inhabits you so that now you can hear the voice of your shepherd. Christ follower, how do I know that you've been built for this? Because God has told us he gave you his spirit through the work of his son, Jesus. There in your note sheet, easily probably my most quoted person of all time is Dallas Willard. The late great Dallas Willard is one of my heroes. He was a longtime author, scholar, philosophy professor at USC. And he writes this in one of his most famous books called Hearing God. He says, the spirit who inhabits us is not mute, restricting himself to an occasional nudge, a hot flash, a brilliant image, or a case of goosebumps. God walks and talks in our midst as part of how the kingdom of God is in our midst." And so you've been created to hear God. So that was my takeaway from last week. And so what I want to lead you to now is the next villain, which is going to really be the focus for our time. And that's this, listening is learned. Listening is learned. And would you do me a favor if you're taking notes, would you put a big box around the word learned? Would you put flames around it or stars, something that draws your eye to it? because I believe this is where so many of us get tripped up when it comes to the idea of listening to the voice of Jesus in our lives, is sometimes we have this assumption that listening to Jesus is like a switch being flipped, that all of a sudden, either it happens or it doesn't. And when it happens, we're gonna have no problem knowing that it's Jesus. We're gonna have no problem listening to Jesus, no problem following to Jesus, And yet that's not how we've been designed. Instead of thinking of it like a switch being flipped, we need to think of it like a child learning to grow up. And if you think of a young child, if you think of a toddler, in essence, they have everything that they're going to need to learn how to do basic things, learn how to walk, learn how to talk, learn how to feed themselves, learn how to think, but yet they still need to be taught how to use what they were already given. And so this is the power to me of that, of, of that metaphor that Jesus uses. Again, his audience knew that a shepherd didn't simply speak once to his sheep and his sheep goes, okay, got it. I know your voice. We're good to go. This was an intentional journey of learning. This was an intentional process because again, there were numerous voices speaking to these sheep, so to speak, trying to get them to listen and follow to them instead. There were numerous circumstances that challenged the ability to listen. And so what a shepherd needed to do is they needed their sheep to recognize their voice above all other voices. They needed the sheep to learn to recognize the shepherd's voice in various different circumstances. And as we apply this metaphor to us, again, this is why the, the, it's a learning process because there are multiple voices trying to get us to follow them instead of Jesus. There are times in which my voice is trying to follow, get me to go in a direction different than Jesus. There are times when my sin, my temptation is trying to get me to go in a direction different than Jesus. There are times when our culture is trying to get me to go in a direction different than Jesus. And so Jesus has to teach me regularly how to hear his voice above all others. And then there are, Jesus needs to teach me to recognize his voice in different circumstances and different emotions. It is one thing to hear the voice of Jesus when I am relaxing on a beach. It is a very different thing to hear that same voice when I am in a hospital waiting room. It is one thing to hear the voice of Jesus in those times when life is actually calm and peaceful. It's another thing to hear the voice of Jesus at times of intense sadness and suffering. It's one thing to hear the voice of Jesus in certain parts in our life when we were in college or newly married before we were parents. It's another thing to hear it later on in our jobs and our careers. And so what we need to understand is that when it comes to listening and following the voice of Jesus, it is a learned skill. So going back to Dallas Willard there and you know, we may mistakenly think that if God spoke to us, we would automatically know who is speaking without having to learn, but that is simply a mistake. But when God speaks and we recognize the voice as His voice, we do so because our familiarity with that voice enables us to recognize it. And so To me, Dallas hits this right on the head. What is the key to learning how to listen and then follow the voice of Jesus? Being familiar with his voice in the first place. And how do we become familiar with his voice? Time. Time. All of us in our lives, we have voices that we can pick out of a crowd without even working, do we? Maybe it's the voice of a parent or the voice of a child. Maybe it's the voice of a dear friend or a leader. And how is it that we are so familiar with those voices? Time. We have spent substantial time with them that we can hear them above all others. And so the fact that listening is learned is a beautiful invitation to devote our time to becoming familiar with the voice of Jesus above all other voices and noises and in all circumstances. There is power in familiarity because when we spend time, when we are familiar with a voice, that's when we learn to hear it and respond to it like that. Let me illustrate what I mean by that. In other words, let me illustrate the power of being familiar with a voice. And to do that, I'm gonna utter a phrase that has rarely or ever been said from the stage. Rocky Peak, let's play a game. (laughs) And don't worry, it's not a hard game. We're simply gonna play a game of name that tune. And so what's gonna happen is we're gonna play a snippet from a song. And if you know what it is, and here's the rules, if you know the artist, and you know the song, I need both. I need you just to shout it out. Now, nine o'clock, sometimes you're a little reserved. (laughs) I know most of you are parents like me and the coffee is kicking in, but I need you here, nine o'clock. I need you here because this illustration really rests on your shoulders, so no (laughs) pressure here. But the idea is I'm curious which of these songs are familiar to you and which are not. And so let me ease you into it. Let's start really easy. Okay, Nick, can you play the first one? All right, thank you. Thank you. Journey, don't stop believing. If you didn't know that, I would ask you to leave, okay? So it's journey, don't stop believing. So you see, not too bad. Let's let's do another easy one, okay? Bon Jovi with song, living on a prayer. Okay, now I could turn it off, but I feel like we should have a little bit of a sing-along right now, don't we? You ready? Come on. Hit me. There you go. There you go. All right, all right. (laughs) So those two are easy, right? For most of us, those two are songs we're really familiar with. Now let's start throwing some curveballs. For some of you you are going to be really familiar with this. For some of you, these other songs might take some time. So let me look at my list here. You know what, Nick, let's do number three. <laughs> Does anybody know. What's the band? Rush. Does anybody know the song? Wait? over here? you get Spirit of the Radio by Rush. Like, I love it when you play a song and a ton of people are like, oh, I know that, and don't say anything. So basically, you're liars as we go through. Nick, let's do number seven. You gotta be a little louder. Casey and JoJo, what's the song? I see you in the back, Matt, all my life. There you go. Hey, 90s kids, this was our prom. This was our prom in the 90s. All right. Let's do number five. Oh, some of you guys. Sorry, Selena. And what's the song? Got it. I love this song. It's so good. Dude, yeah, I got people excited. Selena, all right. I seriously could do this for another hour, but I'm running out <laughs> of time. So I'm going to do one more. Uh, okay, let's do number 8 Listen, number eight. Voice of Man, what's the song? Wait, TJ, I got you. What's the song? Motown Philly, there you go. Gotcha, Brooklyn. You got it, going in. voice to Men, Motown Philly. You guys did better than Saturday Night, I'm impressed. I'm impressed as we go in. So here's what I'm gonna say. Depending on the song, you either had one of three reactions. You either had a reaction I would call, I've got nothing which meant you're not familiar with that song at all. You likely had never heard it before in your life. Or there was a second reaction, which is what I call, oh, yeah. (laughs) Which at some point you were familiar. You knew that song, but it had been a while, hadn't it? And you probably forgot and you're like, oh, you, is, is that this or is that, oh, I can't fully place it. And then there was a third reaction, what I affectionately call, let's go. There is no hesitation. There was no mistaking. You've listened to it a million times and it gets better every time. <laughs> What's the difference between each of those reactions? Time. Time leads to familiarity. And the truth is, we can take those three responses and apply them to our spiritual lives, can't we? For those of us that are believers in Jesus, there was a time in which our response to the voice of God was, I've got nothing. I don't know this voice, I've never heard it before. And it was only through the grace and work of the Holy Spirit that he opened our eyes to see, oh, this is Jesus the King. There are many of us that our response to the voice of Jesus is, oh yeah, I knew that voice once it was a familiar voice, but maybe things got in the way. Maybe sin got in the way. Maybe schedules and busyness got in the way. Maybe hurt and pain got in the way. And We forgot something that had once been familiar. And for others of us, we have this let's go. And that's not a declaration of perfection, but it's a pursuit. Man, I'm trying to learn what it means to listen and follow to the voice. And I know that voice in my life. That's the voice of Jesus the King. And again, what's the difference between all three spiritual responses? It's time. And here's the beautiful thing that I want you to walk away from. Again, the reason why Jesus gave us that metaphor of the sheep is that our good shepherd is here to give us his time and his voice so that we can be transformed as a result and unleashed in the world around us. And so this isn't meant in the negative. This is a beautiful encouragement. Listening is learned and our shepherd is here to teach us. And so before we leave this point, there in your note sheet, listening well does require two important tools. And the first one is this, listening well requires commitment to the journey. Learning to hear the voice of Jesus in our life is not designed to be instant. Because if it was, we would actually miss out on a depth and beauty. If you look at how God has designed healthy relationships to work, look at the example of healthy friendships, healthy church community relationships, a healthy marriage. They are designed to grow deeper and more profound over the passage of time the longer you are in those relationships, they are designed to get better and better. And so what we need to understand when it comes to listening and learning, we need to commit to a long-term journey, not to seek short-term gains. The second thing that listening well requires is slowing down. And if I'm honest, Rocky Peak, this one kind of hurts my pride. Because in a lot of ways, I pride myself at how fast I move, at how busy I am, at how much I can think, I quote, can get done. But let's look at this through the lens of listening. Have you ever tried to listen to someone speaking to you as you've been moving at the speed of light? How well did that go? Maybe you heard certain things, but did you miss certain things? Did you misinterpret Did you hear wrong at times? Let's flip it. Have you ever tried to be heard by somebody who was moving at the speed of light? How did you feel? Did you feel valued? Did you feel heard? Did you feel cared for and loved in that moment? And here's the truth about slowing down. The enemy knows that we can't hear the voice of Jesus well, moving at the speed of light. And what we often don't realize is that our pace, our light speed through life is spiritual warfare because the enemy is trying to get, keep us moving so fast that we won't slow down to learn what it means to hear the voice of Jesus throughout our lives. And so we are called to not be passive in spiritual warfare, but because of the spirit in us, we are called to fight back. And the beautiful thing is we're not called to fight back by using the enemy's tactics. We're called to fight back by living in the example that Jesus has given us. Jesus' example in scripture is that he didn't move at light speed, but he was incredibly unrushed and purposeful at the same time. And so slowing down is one of the most important ways that we fight in spiritual warfare, because slowing down is an intentional way. We pause and say, Jesus, teach me to recognize your voice above all others. And let me do a quick sidebar here. Parents, our kids need us to model this. Our kids need us to model this because they are being raised in a fast-paced world. And it's on us as parents, their primary spiritual influence to model what it looks like to slow down, to learn to, learn, to listen and follow to Jesus' leadings. And so again, listening is learned and there are many ways, many means through which Jesus teaches us how to listen to his voice. But I want to focus on the time we have left is what I would call the two foundational ways for all believers. And that's through prayer and that's through scripture. But my hope as we go into this time is that for many of us, this would be a freeing approach to these practices. This would be an opportunity to gain a bigger view of what these practices mean and how they lead us to hear the voice of our good, good good shepherd in a deeper way. And so there in your note sheet, you got a section titled, uh, Recognizing God's Voice, Two Foundational Rhythms. And like I said, your first fill and your first rhythm is this honest prayer. Honest prayer. And I'm gonna unpack what I mean by honest in a moment, but since I use the word honest, let's be honest because we need to talk about prayer in the big picture to begin with that for many believers, again, I'm not gonna have you raise your hand, but for many believers, you would say in a moment of honesty, that the act, that the practice of prayer is often a source of great anxiety. It's often a source of great insecurity. It's often an area in which we question, am I doing this right? Again, I don't want to ask you to raise your hand, but just in the truth of your heart, have you ever asked yourself, have you ever wondered or worried or struggled with this question? Am I doing prayer right? Am I praying the right way? Am I good at this? And again, for so many of us, we struggle with that question because it creates a false narrative. Man, it seems like so-and-so is built to pray. I'm not. What's wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me? Or some of us, our worry is rooted in the way we've taught to pray, in our background, or experiences that has taught us the message, unless I get it right, then God's not going to hear it unless it shows my maturity, unless it shows how smart I am, unless it shows some level of perfection, then God is not gonna hear it. In fact, for many of you, the idea of praying in your life group is a nightmare scenario alone, isn't it? Imagine you're in your life group and everybody's going around and praying. And again, for some of you, that raises anxiety already. But imagine it gets to the person that's praying before you and they deliver the most beautiful prayer you have ever heard in your life. We're talking a prayer that led multiple people to tears. We're talking a prayer that has used so many theological terms, many of which you've never heard of in your life. We're talking a prayer in which they quoted scripture and not the easy ones like John 3.16. They went to the minor prophets. They're quoting Amos and Hosea and Habakkuk. We're talking a prayer that the voice of God himself went, that is good. That is really good. They pray, they say amen, and now it's your turn what would you do? If you're like me, you would leave. (laughs) I will show myself to the door. And for many of us, when it comes to prayer, that picture gets at the root of our hearts. That prayer is often a big source of intimidation because we don't know how to get it right. And the reason why I'm talking about this is for many of us, honestly, we would go, Dre, I am having enough Problems trying to figure out the talking part of this to do this the right way. Don't add more to my problems by adding listening to this equation as well. That's the intimidation. So, what's the encouragement? What is the truth? God's desire when it comes to prayer is not that you are, quote, getting it right. God's desire in prayer is that you are being honest you are being authentic. You are bringing yourself the way you are in all that messiness and that is how we do it right. Prayer is an invitation to honesty and honesty is what transforms prayer into an opportunity to learn to listen and recognize the voice of Jesus in our lives. This preoccupation, this fear with, quote, getting it right often creates a barrier towards prayer being a setting to hear God. Honesty is what removes that barrier. What, we, what Jesus is asking us to do is come into prayer and honestly, and to be honest and go, Jesus, I have no idea how to do this. And that's when we'll start to hear the voice of God going, great, that's why I'm here. And I'll teach you. For some of us, we need to go into prayer honestly and go, Jesus, I don't have much to offer. My life is kind of a mess. I don't look like the people in my life group. I don't know what I'm doing. And that's an opportunity for Jesus to go, great. Let me show you that I'm enough for you. And that I'm the one that makes you more. And so the beautiful thing about seeing prayer for some of us for the first time as an opportunity to learn to listen to the voice of God in our life is that it actually expands our view of prayer and it transforms us to be free when it comes to prayer, to be honest. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you two practical steps that God has been using to teach me to apply this in my life is he's been teaching me how to better hear his voice. And these aren't on your note sheet, but you're welcome to write these steps down. But hear me very clearly. I'm not sharing these steps because I believe that they are the standard or the norm or meant to be for all believers. I'm sharing these steps, again, just as an example as your brother who's learning alongside you of how God has been teaching me to hear his voice better through honest prayer. And so the first step is silence. Is there are times in which talking in prayer is beautiful and we are invited to. But what God has been teaching me over the last several years is that it is deeply important for me to carve out intentional times of prayer in which my purpose is to not say much or anything, but to be silent before the Lord. And why that's been important in my prayer life is God has been showing me that often when I'm in prayer, I dominate the conversation. Hard to believe, huh? (laughs) And what God had to show me is the root of that comes from my insecurity that I'm going to do this wrong. Somewhere along the line, I had picked up this false narrative that silence is the wrong way to pray. So you need to keep talking. And so God's been teaching me the opposite. What I've been learning is to approach times of prayer by saying a very simple prayer. Lord, here I am. And then to pause. Lord, here I am. And then to just pause and be still. And there are times in which that is beautiful. There are many times in which that is really uncomfortable. There are some seasons in which going before the Lord, praying that and being still, is easier than in other seasons. There are times in which physically and emotionally I can go before the Lord in silence and be peaceful. There are times in which I feel just shaky and anxious, like I can't calm down. And whatever it is that's in my posture and my heart, the Lord keeps inviting me, come and be still. And what does it teach me as well? To commit when it's easy and when it's hard. And so let me ask you, or let me invite us to just do that for a moment together. And I don't mean because I'm expecting earth-shattering moments, but again, to just build the practice on us. Would you just take one or two deep breaths and just in the stillness of your head, in the stillness of your heart, would you simply pray, Lord, here I am. Amen, Jesus, thank you. So that's the first step that the Lord's been using to teach me. The second step is my wandering mind. I don't think I'm alone. Have you ever noticed how much our minds can wander during prayer? Have you noticed the variety of places our minds can go during prayer? There's times when I'm praying and I'm talking to the Lord, and yet my mind is on the chores that haven't been done in the house. Hey, did we finish cleaning up the garage? Or hey, do we decide who's going to pick up Lucy from school tomorrow? Did I buy dog food? Do we need dog food? There's times when I'm praying to the Lord and I'm saying one thing, but my mind is wandering to what it is I'm worried about or troubles, or different emotions like anger. I'm praying and saying something to the Lord, but my mind is I can't believe this person. I can't believe what they said. I can't believe what they did. There's times when I'm praying to the Lord and my mind can wander to areas of sin and areas of temptation. And again, a lot of us can relate to that, can't we? And what's the narrative I've had in my heart for so many years, my mind wandering is a declaration that I'm doing it wrong that I'm praying wrong. I need to get back. I need to focus. I need to remember. Okay, no, no, no. Good Christians are focused. Good Christians come back. Stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. And here's what God has been teaching me. Often where my mind goes when it's wandering is exactly the area that God wants to speak into. Often one of the reasons why I'm not hearing God in my prayer is because I'm trying to talk about the wrong thing. Because often where my mind is going are the things that are truly at the top of my heart, are the things that are truly the most important thing going on in my life right now. There is a deep root and often God is going, that's what we need to talk about. And so what God's been teaching me is instead of trying to ignore the wanderings of my mind, to instead pull them and go, Jesus, as I've been trying to talk to you, this is where my mind is going. This is where my heart is going. Obviously, this is dominating my thoughts. Please speak into it. I love this quote there in your note sheet, Kyle Strobel and John Coe. They are two authors and professors at Talbot University, part of Biola University. They're actually two of Megan's professors in her master's program. And in their wonderful book, they said this, Our minds wander... Because in Jesus's words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, from Matthew chapter six. When we come into God's presence in prayer, we do so with the spirit present to the deepest depths of our hearts. We should not be surprised as the truth of our heart begin to percolate and rise to the surface. Prayer is an invitation into truth because the truth gets us to the real desires of our hearts, and so again, let me go back to the example. You might be sitting there wondering, well, how does thinking about your chores or your schedule get to the truth of your heart? Because often that's the overflow or the surface. Really, sometimes the root is I'm thinking about those things because I'm trying to control. I'm trying to accomplish. I'm trying to show my worth by getting my task list done. And Jesus needs to speak into that. And again, we could go on and on and on, but what I've been learning is that where my mind is going that's often the area that God wants to speak into and teach me to hear his voice in. So, the first rhythm is honest prayer. Your second fill in, your second rhythm is this dwelling on scripture. Dwelling on scripture. And again, as a starting point, we need to remember what scripture is, that this is not simply words on a page or a, sc- or a screen. But scripture is the voice of God in our lives. There in your note sheet, 2 Timothy 3.16, I liked how the ESV translation put it, all scripture is breathed out by God. In Scripture, when we see God breathing out, He breathes life into His creation. He breathes life into us. And so, as we learn to engage, as we learn to listen to His voice through Scripture, we are learning to experience His life, His very breath in our lungs. There in your notes, John Piper, longtime pastor in, the Minnesota, in Minnesota, writes this We read the Bible. We always read the Bible for the kind of seeing and savoring Christ that transforms us into his likeness. And so that's why I'm intentionally using the word dwelling because it has a double definition. To dwell on something means to think about it and to talk about it a lot. But not only that, dwelling also refers to the place in which we live And so again, rhetorically, but think about it for a moment. What do you tend to dwell on? What does your mind and your heart tend to dwell on throughout the day? Does it tend to dwell on your fears or your angers? Does it dwell on your shortcomings? Does it dwell on your pain and suffering? Does it dwell on what you don't have or what's been taken to from you? And again, those are things we need to address and talk about, but where does our mind go? What does our mind and our heart dwell on? Because that's the place in which we live. And so when I say dwelling on scripture, what our shepherd is inviting us to is to learn to hear his voice, which means that we now become a people that dwell on life. In Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, don't let this book, don't let these words depart from your mouth, but learn to meditate, dwell on it day and night. When it comes to scripture, we are not approaching a simple habit to check something off our Christian to-do list. We're approaching the voice of our king so that we can continue to be taught what his voice is in our lives and what it looks like to dwell on the life that only he can give. And so again, let me share two practical steps that the Lord's been using to teach me over these last couple of years to learn to hear his voice through scripture. The first step is to pray. That same prayer, when I approach scripture to pray, here I am, but I also add to that, here I am, What do you want me to see in your word today? There's a submission and an authority. Here I am. What do you want me to see in your word today? It creates an awareness and an expectation that wasn't there before. And then the second thing I've learned, to read slowly. I'm a fast reader and that's a gift that has benefited me well. But when it comes to the word of God, for me to truly dwell on it, I need to slow down and read slowly, to think about the individual words, to not move on from a passage so quickly, to observe what is happening, what am I noticing, and what questions is this raising? And so let me just share with you an example of this happening. In my time in the Word, I've been going through the Gospels of Jesus. And so about two Saturdays ago, I was in Luke chapter 5, the passage in which Jesus calls Levi the tax collector, and then Levi throws a party, a banquet, that he invites Jesus to. And so I spent about two or three days in just about seven verses, just not only reading, but then thinking about it, talking to Megan and other people about what I'm seeing and questions that come up. And here were a few observations that came out of that for me. One, Jesus chose to go to a party. And it raised this interesting question. When I picture Jesus, do I picture Jesus as the type of person that would want to go to a party? Because I think honestly, often I kind of picture Jesus as not being that much fun at parties. (laughs) And yet here he was willingly at a banquet. And then as I was dwelling on that, I realized, hey, when Jesus changed water into wine in John's gospel, where was he? Another party he willingly chose to go to. And so, what is dwelling on this doing? It's actually growing my view of Jesus. But then the second thing is, we're told that as Jesus was sitting and eating, he was surrounded by tax collectors. And tax collectors, contextually, were as far from God as any you could be. They were definitely not moral people. And here they were, sharing a meal, and compelled to hear what Jesus had to say. That doesn't mean that they were agreeing with what Jesus had to say, but it was extraordinary to me, and I began asking the question, God... Am I portraying you in that compelling way? Is there anything in my life that is creating a barrier for those that don't yet know you to see how compelling you really are? And I began wondering and wrestling with that in my prayer time. And then the third thing, again, in that setting with the tax collectors, it gave me hope Because there they were in a banquet, Jesus surrounded by people very far from him in a culture that was very far from him and yet his message was compelling and that filled me with hope for today that the gospel is already compelling. I don't need to spice it up. I don't need to spice Jesus up. I don't need to spice his message up. I just need to point to him and get out of the way. And what did this teach me as I was dwelling on it? That no matter how lost or no matter how dark the people or the culture may seem, Jesus is compelling. His gospel is compelling. And I would have missed that if I didn't slow down. I would have missed that if I didn't pause to dwell on his word and think about it. So dwelling on scripture. And so as we wrap up this time, I've got one final question I wanna ask you. When it comes to learning to hear the voice of Jesus in your life, what's your next step? It's a little bit of a trick question because I don't want you to answer it. I want you to go before the Lord and say, Jesus, lead me into my next step. Jesus, you show me what the next step is on this journey of learning to listen and follow your leadership in my life. Amen? As the band comes out, we're gonna go ahead and give you an opportunity to pause Because again, we don't get many of those opportunities. And if we're going to learn to build a rhythm, we want these services to be a catalyst for this. And so we're going to introduce a new song over or a new song, and we're going to introduce it by singing it over you. This is an opportunity for you to sit, for you to listen, and for you to receive. And throughout the song, it's going to make this declaration: "Jesus, here I am." That same prayer I've been inviting you to, inviting you to pray. And so, for this first part, I want to go ahead and again invite you simply to hear simply to receive, and then I'll step back in and invite us to stand and sing together. But let's pray. Jesus, here we are as your church. Jesus, here we are as your people. Jesus, here we are excited to learn more from you of what your voice sounds like, of what it sounds like in various circumstances, what it sounds like in different scenarios. We wanna know your voice more so that we can follow you more. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for this moment of pause right here and we get to hear this song sung over us like a prayer. It's in your name, King Jesus. We all said, amen.